welcome back to Chunky Glasses of the Podcast. Uh, I'm Kevin. You know that if you've been listening for a while. If not, I'm Kevin. Hi. Uh, this is episode number 102. This is actually, if you're paying attention, your bonus episode for this week. Uh, earlier this week, we talked about Father John Misty and his new album, I Love You, Honey Bear. Uh, if you are a fan of the man, his music, or just hearing Carrie talk about phosphorescence pants, uh, I highly recommend that episode. That was a fun one to do. Jarrett Nicolay of Astrovia came down, uh, Carrie, Paul, and uh, Paul's dog, Kenobi. So that's up now. Uh, you can listen to it on iTunes. You can download it to whatever device you want to. Uh, you can comment on it, or a here's a novel idea. You could rate us in iTunes. I still don't know quite what that'll do, but I think... It'll get us stuff like, uh, you know, Three Stars Beer might want to sponsor us. I don't know. Just you know, throw, us a, throw us a growler or something because we're getting high ratings on iTunes. Even more high ratings, maybe sure. We'd uh, throw us some SM7Bs for all you recording nerds out there to make us sound all smooth and sexy on the mic. Um, so that was earlier this week. Right now, today, uh, what we're going to be talking about is uh, a man by the name of Steve Kolowich. Uh You probably know him better by his moniker, his project name, which is Stranger in the Alps. Uh, Steve's been doing this for a good while. He's uh, playing a lot of house shows around the D.C. area. In 2013, he put out uh, a country folk-tinged album, if you will, Honey If You're Lucky. Um, been playing behind that. Uh, since that time, the sound sort of developed. Um, we premiered, actually, the title track for this a couple weeks ago on the podcast, Pattern Matching. Um, but the rest of the record uh, he, he made with uh, our friend and his friend Louis Weeks producing um, sort of expands on his sound, uh, some some dreamscapey type things, but still all folk-based. You know, you can hear uh, the, the importance of uh, the instrumentation there, but also the importance of, of sort of wordplay and storytelling. And really, uh, as you'll hear in this conversation with Steve, who we're about to have, uh, you know, that's something that he thinks a lot about. Uh, not just, you know, picking up your guitar and hitting it and making a sound and calling it a song and being like, I'm an artist. Uh, now, he, he likes to think about uh, sort of the deeper meanings behind a lot of this, you know. You know, what does it mean if you, if you take this word paired with uh, this certain, like, key change and stuff at the right time? Um, you know, the sequence of songs, the sequence of verses, and so, so uh, a lot of thought went into this record, and you can tell it's a great record, uh, which uh, right now, if you wanted to listen to it before this podcast, you can go get it up on his Bandcamp page uh, for free, but don't be cheap. It's name your own price. Throw the man five bucks so you can keep doing this. Um, but yeah, so check that out. Uh, right now, though, I think you should check out uh, me talking with the man himself. So here you go. Uh, episode number 102 of Chunky Glasses, the podcast. Uh, this is me sitting down with Steve Kolowich, a stranger in the Alps, in the rock basement. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man
probably edit out this stuff on Gus and start with a little bit of that. But okay. That's what happens. I mean, it's, it's a trick. You, know, you leave them rolling, yeah, and people right. are like, oh, I'm comfortable. Oh, yeah. This is nice. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Steve, congratulations on the new album. Thank you. Yeah. Thank uh, you very pattern much. Pattern matching. Pattern matching. Uh, came out, if you this week coming out, I think on Thursday, it'll be, we'll do a two podcast week. Mm-hmm. So uh, this will be coming out next week. Okay. Um, before then, you will have played a show. True. Which we can just say now, traveling back through time, that it was awesome. Yeah, it was a you great show. It. Definitely. I mean, people no were throwing money problems. at you. Yeah. Got the big label contract signed. Right, right. I died temporarily on stage. I was revived. It was like a huge scene, <laughs> a big moment in my life. Nice. I've learned a lot in the last week. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good. That's good. Um, this is your second album. Uh, this right. is, uh, I, I will say, from listening to it a bunch since you sent it to, you sent it to me a while ago, like a, about a, yeah, it was, know, it was a month ago. Yeah, it was, it's been done for a while. Um, from, actually I should back up. First time I met you was at a house show, mm-hmm. uh, opening for, uh, or maybe they were opening for you, for you My Darling Fury, Sean, Sean Barna. Yeah, I was right. But and you guys no, played sorry. and we were like, who are these hippie motherfuckers? <laughs> and it was... That's, and, a, that's, that's a funny vibe. I actually haven't gotten that. I'd like to get into well, this Well, we, we are going to get into that a little yeah. bit, <laughs> based on something we had a conversation a while back about uh-huh. some, of, some of your influences. Um, and, uh, and so I actually took uh, uh, your first album out, mm-hmm. which was uh, Honey... Honey, if you're lucky. Honey, if you're lucky. Uh, and gave that a spin, and it was like, yeah, yeah, that's, I see where they're coming from. I see where that came from. I put this on, and I was like, I, where the fuck did this come from? <laughs> so going into this this record, uh, were you? Uh, what was what was the mo here? Um, well, to be honest, after the last one came out, um, uh, I wasn't sure if and when there would be another record, just because um, I hadn't made one before. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been writing songs for that long. And um, I think that we recorded for the first album, we recorded like nine of the first 11 songs I wrote, um, like throwing out. I, I like harvested the other two for parts. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, you know, I just it's hard to know when when the songs are going to come, because I'm not I'm actually not the kind of person who sits down and writes every day. Right. Um I I don't have that kind of discipline. It's kind of like um, what what Louie and I have talked about before is um, uh, we call it the feeling of knowing. Mm-hmm. You suddenly feel that there's a song and that it's just about doing the work to, to get it out of you when you have some idea. Um, but the tricky part is having the idea in the first place and, and knowing that there's a song there that you right. just need to, to manifest. Um, so I didn't know if there, when, when the songs would come again. Um, and it turns out that they came pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's back up a little further though. You said you haven't been writing songs for that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what is your, uh, sort of musical background? At what point did you wake up and be like, fuck, I want to, I want to write some songs. Um, well, my musical background, so I, I didn't, uh, um, I didn't play an instrument, uh, growing up. Um, I played drums a little bit, uh, in middle school, but I never, um, I never had the motivation to practice and really get good just because, um, I don't know, I'm a sucker for melody, um, and harmony and all that stuff. And, and, you know, drums weren't something that I could, uh, be amused enough by playing by myself i'm finding that out (laughs) yeah right um 
And uh, so I didn't play instruments, but I had a couple friends in high school, a couple of very good friends um, who were musicians and who were, you know, recording albums in high school. Um, uh, one of them is still recording al- albums. His name's Adam Stone. He's in Denver. Um, and he makes really out there electronic music. Right. And um, But at the time, he was writing piano music uh, that sounded a lot like Ben Folds. And, yeah. um, so this uh, was like mid-90s? This was uh, early 2000s. Early 2000s. Um, and uh, so eventually I... I would hang out with them a lot and I just get so frustrated sitting at a piano or, or holding a guitar. And like, it's amazing the helplessness you feel when you don't play the instrument that's right in front of you, because you have no idea how it works, how to make it work. You can't even like, it's not like a ball, like a baseball where it like makes sense. And at least you can try to throw it. It's just like, you can't work the machine. And, um, I already knew I was interested in song lyrics because I, I, I like music a lot. Um, and I knew that. And so, I wrote some song lyrics for Adam um, in high school um, that he was able to set to music, and I got kicked out of that. Um, but I didn't pick up uh, an instrument until right at the end of high school into uh, mm. into college. I, I learned piano. Um, mostly, they taught me a little bit, um, and I I took a music theory class in college. But I never my my music background isn't very strong. I'm right. still learning how to play guitar. Frankly, I right. take I take lessons with my guitarist Dave Epley from oh, nice. Uh, nice. from Humble Fire. Um, so um, so not really a strong playing background to speak of. When you saw me in Columbia Heights at the beginning of the summer, yeah, like you were probably seeing me still working through some. Uh, some kinks in my well, stage it was presence. it was funny because it definitely it, it was a set of your songs, and then there was a later set I think where Pete was just okay. like it was like whoa the party bands here yeah <laughs> well so you, but you have to do that stuff I mean that that's the thing if you if you're learning if you're or even if you're not learning sometimes it's just fun to do that stuff yeah uh, so um, I kind of um, borrowed my band from. Um, uh, Human Country Jukebox, um, which are a, a country cover band. They play at Madams every Wednesday oh, okay. and they play around. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I was friends with the band and a couple of my roommates, um, were in the band. And nice. so when I decided to go in the, and, and start playing out and, you know, arrange the, uh, the songs and, um, for the full band, then, uh, I kind of <laughs> took those guys to play with me. And so they already know tons of songs right. Um, right. <laughs> together. And, <laughs> you know, they're, they're great musicians and, and, and they're, they're um, really uh, thoughtful and, and, and good with working with my songs and, and kind of uh, figuring out what my songs need from them. Uh, but they also really like playing uh, music that's more fun yeah. for, say, a bassist. Yeah, yeah. Um, to play or a guitarist to, to, to really vamp on. So I remember uh, that night it was like um, uh, they were already conspiring when we were setting up. We're like, we're going we're gonna to have to figure out how to do a funk set later. Right, right, right. I think, <laughs> and I like, think that's what it was. Yeah, so so it was kind of like a, 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 I was bribing them with, with the platform saying like, here, come and play my play eight of my songs, hang around for a bit, and then you can have your funk set later. Nice. So, yeah. But they're they're great musicians. They yeah. can play all styles. Very nice. Um, so 
from there to now, mm-hmm. uh, you're, who's playing on this record besides you know, uh, Louis Weeks? Yeah, so Louis... Sean Louis, is playing on it? Yeah, Sean played on, um, on I think, three of the tracks. Um, and uh, uh, the other drumming is done by Bernardo uh, Guzman, who unfortunately we lost to Nashville... Um, and graduate school. Um, and, uh, the rest of the band on the album is, uh, Noah Bine on piano, um, doing those really nice, uh, country blues licks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, uh, Alex Platt on bass and, um, uh, and Travis Lyon on guitar and pedal steel mm-hmm. and all that really nice, uh, lead guitar stuff is, yeah. is all him. Um, and, and then we, I, near the end, uh, we brought in a couple ringers, uh, Louis guys, um, to fill right. out the arrangements on, on the last two songs we did. So, yeah, yeah. so Ethan, who you've heard on Louis new Absolutely. record, yeah, yeah. um, he did the woodwinds for middle America and, uh, Noah Berman um, came and uh, laid some uh, some fuzzy guitar onto Small Blade at right. the last minute when we decided that it didn't have enough muscle. And right, right. who are you going to call? Right, Noah yeah. Berman. Yeah, there you go. I yeah. mean, yeah, it's it's funny because um, that process, like it, when when we debuted the song on the podcast, mm-hmm. um, I mentioned that that you seem to have this building posse of mm-hmm. people which is really cool and i think really different than uh i think what a lot of people in town are necessarily doing like you you have a band mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily a a band band right which uh which i want to talk about in a minute mm-hmm. being a solo artist but the album itself is this like um it's just like little journey uh, stylistically i i don't know uh it, there's it's all linked together there's some there's something in there something mm-hmm. that good yeah that that links it all together but nothing really sounds the same mm-hmm. if you go from one song like when we were chatting over uh, on facebook i was like oh i hear this like fish influence mm-hmm. and stuff but then the very next song it's like it sounds you know like a wilco song mm-hmm. and maybe there's some beck in there mm-hmm. um was that due to these players and the, and the sort of disparity in what you're doing or um partly uh so um it's great to hear you say that it uh it sort of there was a um um it kind of took a journey like oh, absolutely. like a picaresque of styles and and stuff uh, because they all started the same um uh because you know every song when i first recorded is the iron and wine version of the song which right. is like it's going to be me um, I'm probably going to be finger picking my guitar and singing um, in uh, relatively soft and uncertain uh, tones into like my iPhone or something. Right. Um, and then, but you could just release that album. Re- <laughs> People you, do. You I could. Mean, you, could yeah. you could. But um, uh, but then um, so uh, but then the question is, um, are you taking advantage of? the possibilities of recorded music. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, if, if you break down, uh, or break apart these songs, um, like in the, uh, in pro tools, mm-hmm. like, um, there's, you know, 15, 20 layers, um, even in the songs that are relatively straightforward, like these are not, uh, the arrangements or how we ended up recording them are, um, uh, 
you're taking advantage of the fact that you can overdub to death right. um, and and then mix it all down. Right, right, and, right. you know, there are a lot of bands that uh, uh, they're all about, you know, just pointing their amps at microphones and playing and saying, this is what we sound like. Uh, yeah. We sound very similar live. Um, and that's what we want the record to sound like, because that's us. That's our mm-hmm. sound. Um, and I totally I totally respect that. Um, but uh and and there's like a there's a sense there's like a perceived authenticity to that it's it's mm-hmm. like you know yeah. can you reproduce the album live um is that a measure of some kind of authenticity and um i've uh, i've kind of come around to the point of view that recorded music is um kind of its own universe with its own possibilities yep. and uh you know i i listen to albums that sound like um uh, like they're just tracking a, uh, a voice and guitar, um, you know, uh, uh, Iron and Wine, one of my favorite bands, uh, uh, Elliot Smith, uh, mm-hmm. uh, some of the, his golden messenger stuff yeah. and, um, uh, the bad dad album, which I love. Uh, but, and, and those songs can be really beautiful played like that, but, um, you know, I can play, I can play a song like that, that version of my song anytime I want. And yeah. there's, one opportunity you have to like create something that's permanent that's that's where you've maximized the possibilities of what the song can be so to that point when you're when you've written a song like what what is your what is your main focus and then when is it uh i mean it's never done Mm -hmm. like but when is it done to the point you're like okay now i need to see what else i can do with it like when Mm -hmm. when are you satisfied with that um, well, uh, one advantage to writing the way that, um, I was just talking about mm-hmm. with, uh, just guitar and voice, um, or sometimes piano and voice, yeah. um, is that, uh, you're putting the song to the test, uh, which is, is it still a song if you take away everything, but the the right. most basic, uh, structures, which and, a lot of people don't understand, right. That you, and that you have to. Like you can make you can have noise or mm-hmm. or a song, yeah, and there's a big difference right and and you know uh and there there are um musicians that work with a a different toolkit who um who uh you know the writing comes from what sounds they're able to make mm-hmm. come out of their pedal board, you know. Um, and that's really cool, especially cool to me because I don't know how to do it. Right. Um, but but uh, it's good to um, be able to be confident in a song played in its uh, in its most simple form. Right. So uh, there are parts of the song that um, that are going to be done before I um, add any other musicians or instruments. Yeah. Um, the lyrics are going to be done. Uh, the structure of the song is going to be done. Um, so, so with lyrics, some sound won't later down the road usually like inform me like, oh, maybe this. It it hasn't for me yet. It hasn't yet. Because um, uh, these are these are for people who haven't heard the album. You, you should hear it. These are uh, at times very uh, picturesque like soundscapes going on. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. Um, yeah. So, uh, but but the. Um, uh, the foundation has to be strong. So, uh, so the chords will be done. Um, uh, and the, um, uh, the underlying guitar, uh, which you'll hear on, on most of the album, yeah. um, 
is going to be that 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 will be the uh um uh that'll be the bed of it so the song will be done and really ready to play in some contexts and then uh you figure out how the rest of the uh music works with it and that process is um uh totally exigent you know Mm -hmm. it depends on um okay can louie get me into the studio this weekend okay can i get uh i'm we're gonna need a a bass player we're gonna need a, a guitar player we're gonna need keys um uh, who can get, who can get together, who can practice this song enough to bring it into the studio. Mm -hmm. And then what, what can we do in the time that we're there? So there's an immediacy to this album, um, that comes from the fact that, um, the songs are pretty unrehearsed. Um, is there anything right now that you weren't like, Oh God, we didn't nail it. We had to get it out. Um, at this point, I've uh, I've listened to the songs enough times that like yeah. whatever thing, whatever I uh, that whatever parts departed from whatever was in my head um, have now become whatever they the thing that they you, ended up. <laughs> That's the song now. Right, um, right. So you know, no regrets about the album, which is is good. Um, fewer regrets than on the first one. Um, uh, which was an even more improvisational um, kind of effort because we didn't even know we were making a proper album. Right. Um, so, uh, but yeah, no, it, it's really a testament to, I, I really can't say enough about the, the, the guys who have gotten to, to play with yeah, me yeah. Um, uh, on the albums. I mean, uh, you know, we talk about it. Louis plays a, a very important role in the studio of saying, um, um, uh, of steering you towards your best instincts mm-hmm. and also creating a lot of that atmosphere. Um, uh, I think I sent you a, a liner notes um, with the, the instruments played on, on yeah, every yeah, track. Yeah, and, yeah. and you'll notice that there's going to be a traditional instrumentation. And then um, there's usually Louis on synthesizers and there's right. somewhere. And that's just, that's him creating sounds that you, that you don't hear. Yeah but you register. Right. Um, so he's, uh, I can't, you know, um, I can't say enough about well, his ability to kind of stitch things together with what I he's think it's interesting do. that you two paired up because I know, and, and you obviously know like how much he actually thinks about music, mm-hmm. like, like all the time. Yeah. Um, and from hearing you talk about how you write your stuff and, and just hearing the album, how you do, I mean, it's not, uh, I don't think it's it's a songwriter's necessary first instinct to be like, what can we do with this? Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, it's a it's, it's a writer's thing. Is like your favorite thing is is when it's done. Writing mm-hmm. sucks. It's fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. But with songs, there's all there's more, you know, and there's more ways to do it. And a lot of people aren't necessarily open to that, or don't want to let other people into their songs mm-hmm. and be like, no, this is my vision. Fuck it. Like this is great and mm-hmm. stuff. And but I think when you can. Uh, just accept that, like, uh, there are always ways to not necessarily improve, but sort of make this shine a little more. Um, it comes out with some of the best stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, you were talking, uh, you saw Jason Isbell last night. Yes. That's somebody who has a very specific set of skills, and his <laughs> skills are uh, the the writing of the song. Yeah. And uh, uh, to quote, actually... Uh, Erica Bruce and the city paper thing. She, she wrote up just a brief review is like, 
songs like that have a danger of of sounding like you're writing it because you feel it like will serve some purpose and trigger something, or they sound like uh, they're written that way because he lived it, mm-hmm. and he does that. And mm-hmm. so, uh, not everybody can do that though. Mm-hmm. And so the reason that works, and I think the reason that works for him on um, on southeastern especially, is because they are so like grounded in in real experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, well, he's uh, first of all. Um, He's a he's a real pro. I learned last night. Oh, I mean, Jesus. it's it's not just the writing. Um, I mean, he's been perform. He's, I think he joined Drive by Truckers when he was seventeen or I used something. To, used to see um, him uh, and hang out in the green room back when uh, they, they they would play like uh, sold out three night stands in Richmond. Okay, yes, yeah, so, about fifteen ten years ago now. Uh, so he uh, yeah he you know he's he's been performing for a long time and he has that side of it down. It's clear. Last night, you know, he. Uh, he not only has the songs, but he has, um, you know, his uh, his anecdotes are exactly the right length, and the punchline comes right, the right. exact same amount. Oh, no, of time. dude, he's got the he's got the beats. I mean, and, and yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the it's the timing of it. Um, so yeah, but but he he's a guy who writes a certain kind of song, which is the um, he writes that uh, that uh, that country that country truth. You know, like he he writes the stuff that is yeah. very, it's almost conversational, um, and uh, and you can tell that he's referencing a, a sort of tradition uh, where, um, you know, having partly to do with his accent and and partly to do with the music tradition he was raised mm-hmm. in, and also his experiences in in music from a young uh, age. You know, he is able to talk about. Um, uh, sing about being in the bar and like there and it's um the 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 affectation is just so and right. it's just um uh yeah and and it's, it just it's seems like he's, re- it's it's regional folklore is mm-hmm. what it is like put right to put the song right and 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 it's, he's also singing about uh vice the same way that mm-hmm. you know um that uh, Robert Johnson or, or George Jones sang about yeah. vice, you know, um, women and booze and pills and um, and you know moments of grace uh, within um, these sort of shambling personalities. Right. Um, and you know, I can I can never write like that. There's you don't see yourself getting there. <laughs> well, it's just I don't know. My my life is are a you, lot different. Are you from write this. like by trade in DC? It's like what do you do? Like. Yeah. Well, so um, so my day job, I am a writer. I'm a journalist. Okay. Um, and uh, so so you write. So you know how to tell a story. So I, I supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'm 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 the kind of writer where uh, uh, where if you're sitting with me at a bar, um, it'll be a first draft. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I have a couple of friends who are real natural storytellers. And right. for me, it's all about. Uh, just rewriting each sentence four times and infuriates people. I'm I'm trying hard not to do it right, right now. Right. Um, but uh, yeah. So um, so the, for me, the writing does come first. In uh, the words do come mm-hmm. first in a lot of cases. Um, my instincts uh, for phrases or my my feelings of knowing are always around themes that I want to express verbally. Right. Um, and uh, I always listen to the lyrics of songs and, you know, some uh, 
early on in my, you know, when I was writing about music and, mm -hmm. um, or even just thinking about music, you know, sometimes you'd pull out the lyrics and try to quote them and it just didn't work. It just right. like, they didn't have the same impact. And you realize that, um, that, uh, that it's in something in the music or something at the moment that you create musically for those right. words that make the words seem so meaningful. Uh, again, it, it's, it's this like balance of, uh, it, it's, it's very specific, different sides of, of the art, I mm -hmm. think of songwriting. Well, and, and it's, and it's hard because, um, if you write words, um, and they look great on the page, mm -hmm. um, they're not always going to sound good song. Um, or you might create a, the wrong moment for the right. words, the, the wrong right. uh, vessel for them. And they, they just fall flat. Um, or it's, um, or it, it's, it gets gummed up in your meter or something. So something that mm -hmm. I've learned a lot, uh, a lot about is, um, uh, the difference between, uh, writing a good, um, lyric and singing a good lyric and, uh, um, and figuring out how to work with things that are kind of annoying on the page, but, uh, can be essential, uh, when you're trying to, uh, sing them to a melody, like, um, like, uh, alliteration, yeah. um, or assonance or, yeah. uh, or just, um, the, uh, the repetition of vowel sounds, yeah. um, uh, rather than the repetition or, or consonant by, by the sounds, way, all yeah. the shows in this album, like all oh, the things good, you're talking good. about. Good. Um, yeah. So, so, um, a, so a lot of my, uh, kind of my, uh, crash course in songwriting that's been playing out on these albums has had to do with, um, figuring out what the work, uh, what the words in a lyric need in order to land um, with the most impact um, or what an image like uh, what's required narratively of a song. So you can tell us you can tell a story on a song and uh, sometimes the the song's only going to be as good as the story. Sometimes it's going to be worse right. than the story. Right. Um, and then sometimes you uh, you tell a story in a song that has um, uh, that has a, a lack of continuity or a kind of a patchwork of images that wouldn't really work as a told story, um, right. but they work because they're evocative they're, in the they're, context they're of a melody. They're hung on a different framework, right? Exactly. Yeah. Or they they arrive with an unexpected chord, and you're able to create a a musical moment of surprise that uh, <laughs> that makes the uh, literally you can do anything bigger. if you're singing and just go a half step down mm -hmm. it gets you gets yeah no matter what every time well yeah and and or or just um you know making sure like uh, having a chord resolve or not resolve or right. the way uh, the melody is interacting with the chord like where your uh, the pitch right. is on your voice and and what that's doing with the the other stuff it's um it's it's writing uh, it's writing words that have to be able uh, to breathe in a different dimension. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, uh, 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 and, and it's, it, it took me a couple tries to figure out that, um, what I would consider good writing, um, uh, 
doesn't always come through or doesn't always have the same impact in song. You have to make sure that your lyrics can breathe in space. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, there's something to be said for putting just your raw like emotion out there. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be impactful, but I'd say 98, 99% of the time, it actually isn't because mm-hmm. your raw emotion is, is generally like Joe lies when he cries, you know? From- yeah. <laughs> well, well, and, and, uh, um, it's not, uh, necessarily interesting to other people. Right. And that, yeah. Be, and be, because it's, it's the most, it's the most real thing in the world to you. Um, but you know, uh, heart, heartbreak is, for a second, I thought we were going to talk about heart. I was no, like, no, 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 <laughs> no, uh, no. But but like heartbreak is heartbreak can be like real and you can feel right. it, but it can be hack if you sing it. Mm-hmm. If you don't, uh, um, if you don't let give people a, a way into to what you're doing, if they're not feeling heartbroken, well, and it and it, it, it can be uh, if it's not relatable. Mm-hmm. I mean, any heartbreak has a very specific. Th- thing to it like that really nobody needs to know nobody needs to do anything and if you write a whole song about that and mm-hmm. nobody can relate to it because they don't know you and they don't want to know you and they're just like hi ah, it's just and stuff like that will fall flat right and and the, and the uh, great songwriters find a way to like I, I hate to say generalize it but i mean it is there, there's a there's a human experience that all of this sort of feeds into and uh, enriches right well it, it, it it's like a lot of writing um uh it uh um it, it doesn't have to be it doesn't generalizing it or, or making it relatable doesn't necessarily mean uh just using the words that everybody uses to exactly. to express the thing like i w- i want you back um i miss you so bad or i love you so much mm-hmm. um uh, you need to uh, you need to focus on um, on uh, talking about the big thing by talking about the little things. Yeah. Um, uh, the magnetic fields on sixty nine love songs. There are a lot of um, uh, it's basically just sixty nine angles at the same idea, right. um, or um, uh, you know uh, Sam Beam. Uh, uh, talking about a breakup by putting you in the car, um, or right. talking about uh, talking about uh, a shirt, or the way some uh, somebody's mouth looks when they're saying something. Like, um, yeah, yeah. I, I forget who it was, and I, as uh, P- Paul is uh, started the site with me. Mm-hmm. We're generally on GChat all day talking about yep. this type of stuff, and. Uh, um, we're talking about somebody who uh, I wish I could remember the album. Uh, it's a it's a recent release, or it's about to come out, and they there's this song that is not not well written, mm-hmm. right? But I think so not well written is that is that every PR release and every like piece on it is sort of like explaining it to you and i'm like <laughs> if if you have to explain to me this song about heartbreak like we're done right like, also another interesting thing is that a song about heartbreak um uh doesn't have to be a song about heartbreak to everybody yeah um an example is uh do you listen to the band blind pilot yeah, i've heard of um blind pilot have a song uh called three rounds in the sound um I've off heard that the song. album mm-hmm. off the same name mm-hmm. Um, 
and um, uh, Israel Nebuchadnezzar, the songwriter, mm-hmm. um, he wrote the song about a breakup, and he was surprised. I ran an interview with him. He was surprised to learn that a lot of people were writing him or coming up to him at shows and saying that was um, that was the first dance of my wedding, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, there's. There's something to be said for the ability to create evocative, uh, to write evocative lyrics that are, um, uh, that are able to, the only thing that's, that's generic about them is their ability to, um, to pull some memory out of, of whoever's listening to them. Um, you know, there are, there are songs, uh, in Bob Dylan's catalog or another example of the tallest man on earth writes in a lot the of sort man. of strange I mean, abstract this goes images. Back to like Neil Diamond, like you had the hit factory and all that. So the bang factory mm-hmm. where people are so skilled at doing what exactly what we're talking about and making sure that you get that thing that gets the people that can, they can relate mm-hmm. to, but then you can fit all these little yeah, you're just, you're just building people a house. Yeah. Like the walls have to be uh, like it has to the architecture has to hang together. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, people are going to populate uh, songs with their own ideas and memories and, and sense of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, one of the things that um, uh, that I've started to learn, and I've heard other people talk about is that um, you can't con- uh, you can't expect other people to understand what your song's about um, unless the lyrics are bludgeoning them with the right. ideas of the song, which is bad. Yeah. Um, uh, they, you have to, people are going to project their own stuff onto, onto your songs and um, where the craft comes in, where, where the, the songwriters who transcend um, just the ability to compellingly express themselves, express their mm-hmm. own um, uh, uh, um, ideas and memories, uh, is when people are um, focused on um, uh, making a, making songs that have a lot of doors uh, for people to walk into. Right. Them. Yeah. A lot of sort of inroads. Mm-hmm. Uh, who do you think's good at that? Ooh, put me on the spot. <laughs> um, well, um, I think that Connor Oberst is really good at yeah. that. Um, I uh, I listen to um, you know uh, the songs off of "I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning," mm-hmm. and uh, you get the sense, you know, here and there that he's talking about. A breakup. He's talking about a war. Um, he's talking about um, you know the micro and macro uh, like war at home versus uh, trying to be a politically conscious right, person. Right, right, right. Um, but um, there are moments on that uh, that album um, or on his self titled album, which I love. The song mm-hmm. Cape Canaveral. I couldn't tell you what the hell it's about, mm-hmm. um, but it's just these. Um, these images or the way that he moves between them um, in a really fluid way that's uh, that's easy to spot, but it's hard to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
and it's like a it's like a kaleidoscope there's there's um uh there there's that uh you know it 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 gives people a lot to work with yeah. um a lot to interpret and if you like listening to music closely and you love words and you love uh really trying to make a song important in your own life mm-hmm. then you love those those songwriters who give that to you yeah i'm, I'm actually no fan of bright eyes oh <laughs> really but uh I, I i i do recognize them as a master craftsman like the the, the reason is just, musically it just doesn't work for me yeah like it doesn't but like is i hear the, them and i'm like voice? yeah something uh, something yeah. just like i heard an album the other day and it's just like the recording is not good and i'm like no uh-huh. it's just going away um, he's divisive. Yeah, but it is. Uh, but he. But he is like clearly a master craftsman. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's no. I, I don't look at him, ah, that guy sucks. You know. Yeah. Like, no, he actually doesn't. He's yeah. just doing something. It, I don't it's enjoy. the. It's it's the difference between that guy doesn't know what he's doing and not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I think John McCauley from Deer Tick. I think yeah. is another one. Uh, more so on War Elephant. He's he's wandered. He's had hit or misses since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, that album is is one solid piece of song i i would put that up as one of the best albums of the century so far but it is just one solid put you in your like you you're in that place yeah you just get sucked in now part of it is the trick he's got the voice so that's another Uh thing that you can add to this if you have a hook like that like you sound like you know van morrison after more whiskey than van morrison normally drank right then well then then you're playing with something that's very tricky because um uh the quality of a voice um, is something that can do a couple things. Mm-hmm. Um, people who sing in that, if, if you watch like, um, uh, you know, like uh, American Idol or something and people are kind of imitating the pop voice, um, then what they're, what it seems like they're actually doing and what people respond to is, I've heard that voice before. That sounds like good singing. I yeah. like that voice. And it's the same thing in the different contexts where you get a guy like John McCauley who's got this this gravel and whiskey voice, mm-hmm. and um, he's able to buy so much capital with a certain segment of the listening population Absolutely. just by opening his mouth. Absolutely. Um, and the risk, and I, and, and Bright Eyes, of Wait, course, which is good because we're getting into like what <laughs> yeah. we were talking about on the Facebook chat a little bit, but yeah, yeah, yeah and, but, and 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 uh, Bright Eyes. Uh, part of the challenge that he puts himself up against is he doesn't sound like a lot of uh, no. conventional singers. I remember uh, people had this experience with Bob Dylan uh, before my time. Yeah, I, yeah. I actually had the experience with Bob Dylan when I remember very distinctly I was in fourth grade. And um, we uh, uh, in my school, we would have these assemblies where, you know, begin and end with a song, yeah. you know, like where everybody would sing. There's a song book and... Uh, and Blown in the Wind was one of the songs, and uh, I liked the words to it, and we would sing it. It was like this choral thing. I'd never heard the song. I finally heard Bob Dylan sing that song, <laughs> and I was like, what is this? It's, so <laughs> I actually told this story on the podcast before, but uh, uh, I, I, I've always enjoyed Dylan's voice like from the first time I heard it until about four or five years ago. 
Maybe, uh, maybe. Are you talking about ago. four or five years ago in the Dylan voice in the arc, Dylan or are voice. you talking about okay? No, yeah. in, in, in his his voice now. Okay. So we were at uh, ACL, and so it's actually longer than that. We were at ACL, in, I think, oh uh, eight, maybe oh nine, or whatever. Whatever your Dylan was playing, Austin City Limits. Mm-hmm. He was the last one playing, and, and if you've been there, Zilker Park, you know, at that point you have like. 20,000 people, maybe more, back from this main stage. And you have a lot of people that have been camped over this, under this very nice tree. And we were like, okay, we can see this. We're not, there's no point in going down here. And we walk by this older couple and see this woman hit like her husband because he's singing and it's terrible. It sounds like a box of rocks. Hits him in the head and she's like, this is goddamn un-American. <laughs> and then they just laughed. Yeah, you, you know, I, I had this funny experience listening to Dylan a couple weeks ago. Um, uh, I was listening to the album Love and Theft. Yeah. And, um, it was great. Yeah, which I, I like. Um, you know, it's it's Blues Dylan, mm-hmm. um, like the band Blues Dylan, which is is a, a certain it's like in the middle of my uh, of my continuum of the Dylan that I like and the Dylan that I don't so much. Right. Um, but there's one song off that album, Mississippi. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's the second song off the album. It's great. Well. Um, and um, I got stuck in my head and. I would be kind of singing it around the house. It's like chord progression. And yeah, exactly. The Stuck one in Mississippi Wage Alone. Yeah, I mean, that's just like, yeah, yeah. that's done. It's like, all right. And, but, 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 uh, I would be singing the melody around the house and, um, and my girlfriend is just like, would you stop singing that? It <laughs> sounds really bad when you sing it. And what I was realizing is like, I couldn't, you know, you make the sound that that your favorite artist right. makes, and 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 you you feel good. Like I wasn't getting that, and I'm like, what's missing here? And uh, that was the first time I realized that uh, Dylan, especially in later age, uh, started singing melodies that only he was able to sing because the. the the quality of his voice, he had all of these like microtonal uh, idiosyncrasies yeah. where, where like you're like, that melody is good and I can't sing it in the shower. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's um, he, he sort of devolved into like an old blues singer. And like, I mean, I would say it, it's fair to say the quality of his voice right now is sort of shit, um, but it doesn't diminish his songwriting. And but I think what, what you're saying is like he actually. He, he's self-aware enough to know that and is writing songs around that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that if if you have this, like, destroyed vocal box, but you have all these good things to say, well, then you, back to what we were saying, you figure out how to make this music work with that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it won't land. Yeah, Dylan knows how to use Dylan. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's the same with any musician at any stage of their career. Right. It's do they know how to use the instrument that they have yeah. um, in in the the best way possible. I mean, you know... Tom Waits uh, completely changed his Jeez. vocal style to uh, to that, jive with with that's still, what he's able if to you do. Listen, if you listen to early Tom Waits and listen to like even uh, even like late eighties, early nineties Tom Waits, it's mind blowing yeah. the change. Now, and that's one of the ones that will put people off. Yeah. If you, if you hear uh, something from uh, what was there was actually a really good. Uh, it's just a compilation. It was like the early years. Yeah. Well, like Blue Sky? Yeah. Yeah. And and then listen to something off Mule Variations. And mm-hmm. you're like, what? Mm-hmm. Not, not just musically. You're like, holy fuck. 
fuck. Right. You know, and, and it requires a different. It requires a, a different. Um, and he, he requires Mark Rabeau now. Mm-hmm. You know, to come in and be like, okay, well, this has to be angular. This has to be like jarring and stuff. And I can still tell my stories, but I'm going to do it in a very different way. Which do you prefer? Um, I I enjoy both. Mm-hmm. It, it's a different list. It, it's the difference between listening to like. I want to put on this rock record or jazz. Mm-hmm. I'd say early is is just good rock, good. Not it's not rock, but it's 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 pop. And then later is very much, um, you know, putting like putting on a complex jazz album. The 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 thing the thing about Tom Waits that I respect a lot is that um, even after his voice went the way it did, yeah. um, he still. Um, he still can make a crooner song work in my book. Yeah. Like, uh, um, you know, he'll do Get Behind the Mule and mm-hmm. it'll be weird. Mm-hmm. But then he'll come with a picture in a frame yeah. or pony. And it's still a song that you can imagine him singing with that voice from the early right. years. Um, but he has he, that cachet built up so you can do that. Like, kind, kind of. Like, what if he just dropped that? Just, you never heard of this guy. And he's just sitting there. I, I mean... Well, again, it depends on what you've heard before. Right. If you've heard Tom Waits before and you hear somebody do that, right. then you're like, oh, crooner with a gravelly voice that is um, unconventionally compelling. Like I that's in I can reference that idea in my okay. my memory, my okay. song bank. Nice. Um, let's get back to pattern matching. Sure. Uh, actually, is that, is that that's a computer programming term? Yes. No. Yeah. But I learned that later. Um what happened was um, I was interviewing this guy uh, um, about uh, for uh, for a, 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 a journalism story right. um, that uh, he was a a guy who uh, who programmed um, uh, software. He used to program software for uh, like finance software yeah. for like high frequency mm-hmm. trading and stuff and. Now he was part of this team that was trying to build education software. Yeah. Um, and uh, he used the term, and um, I think that he was using it metaphorically because he came from from programming. Yeah. Um, but the way that he the way he used it, um, and the way he described it to me is that um, they wanted to make sure uh, that uh, they were designing like practice math problems um in a way where uh people would only pass if they could prove that they understood the underlying uh, mechanics of the Mm -hmm. math they weren't just recognizing and replicating patterns um so basically making sure that they're showing their work instead of like being clever and and so so he he said it's like um Pattern matching is kind of like a useful kind of imitation um, in the context of teaching, um, uh, how he was using the term. Um, a sort of useful imitation that allows people to do stuff like be able to speak in complete sentences without knowing the rules of grammar. Right. Um, so um, I thought a lot about that term because at least the way he was using it, um, again, not the original meaning, mm-hmm. um, it made a lot of sense to me because um, I've never been actually very good at learning systems um, and uh, uh, or or um, having a lot of discipline and uh, understanding 
understanding something intellectually before I was able to to use it. I was mm-hmm. always more of an imitation person. Yeah. Um, uh, I would just. I'm, I'm actually very much the same. Okay. Way. Yeah, yeah. So so you mimic. Um, and I and, and I can pick it up like that. Uh-huh. Like, it's just like done. But and and so so that's that's how I learned instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm I'm told by my band members what chords i'm playing sometimes or why a progression there's works. there's a whole instructional method that actually i came up on uh the suzuki method which is quite literally you have this book and you have it's like going through grades and mm-hmm. it can take you a couple of years um and you uh it's for stringed instruments violins okay and you read this sheet music and you do not progress until you can match it exactly hmm. and so you can read music yeah um, uh you know it, I remember. I, this I, has a matter of muscle memory. Yeah, it's, it, it has a lot to do with muscle memory, it, and it informs like how I play guitar and like, mm-hmm. and you know, why in twenty years I've written two songs. I mean, <laughs> I mean, because it, it is very much you know, I I, I can I, I can replicate this stuff. I can hear it and do something with that. But when it comes, uh, I, I base that off of my complete past experience and stuff, mm-hmm. and because that's just how I learned to to learn Mm -hmm. which is an interesting way to do it yeah and and uh and it's you know i i sort of uh felt this idea of pattern matching it uh you know beyond the music Mm um you know uh i'm 29 years old um and you know the last uh decade or so it's been a lot of um trying to figure out how to how to be as an adult yeah. like how to how to what kind of adult you want to be right. or like how to do your 20s or how to do the job how to do adult relationships and um and it's been a lot of just um so you landed on put out rock and roll albums and yeah right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. i imitated something <laughs> uh no but so so, so you know it, it's um uh, you know, I studied philosophy in college right. and it was a lot about reasoning through problems. Um, but, uh, really how, how it's worked out in practice is that like you just grab a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. from what you observe other people doing, um, or like some combination of, uh, observation and received ideas and received language for how they talk about you and for how to talk about anything, right. music included. Right. Um, and you try to f- make it all fit together and um you know i've i've i haven't taken to um uh you know it, it it's sometimes hard for me to kind of um uh to be an, an adult and like to to uh, accept responsibility and all that stuff um so um you know the struggle to me uh in in kind of coming coming through my 20s and, and toward my 30s has had a lot to do with this idea of uh um imitating uh imitating gestures that you observe and hear about um without rather than receiving some sort of whole co- coherent mm-hmm. vision and matching that it's it's uh it's about just kind of figuring out how to use the tools like while you're while you're right. building is it is that what the album's about um, it's, it's a thread, it's you know, thread. I, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I didn't sit down at the beginning being like, okay, pattern matching. How do I execute this in music? It was more like, I mean, cause um, it's not a concept album because otherwise it'd be double with gateful. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there, there is this <laughs> wait, one. Wait, there, there's a whole other like B-sides album. Uh, no. no, but there, there's a, uh, there's an idea that, um, that I, 
I picked up and discarded that, um, uh, so, um, when you listen to the album, um, mm-hmm. you'll hear, uh, a voice, um, uh, interject sometimes a sampled voice. Absolutely. Um, uh, he's at the beginning, um, saying, yes, this is it. And he's during the song middle America, Mm -hmm. um, kind of selling people on a small town. Um, and what that is, is that is from a, uh, a a municipal promotional video that I found in uh, an online archive from 1954, uh, that was commissioned by the town of Doylestown, Pennsylvania, uh, to basically sell this as an, sell Doylestown as an all American town. Um, and you know, it's got that old, old announcer voice, you know, the old American accent, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, saying just these absurd things, just like, you know, the people in our town are just nice main street folks. (laughs) Like you read about in storybooks. Exactly. And, and like stuff that was like now would be considered like culturally tone deaf, just like, where the folks that folks in other countries want to trade places with, you know, like right, all this right, stuff. Right. So I, <laughs> I found this on the last night of recording. Woke up, I was staying at, oh, wow. at Louis' parents' place in uh, in Baltimore while we were recording the album, and um, I was just on my computer at like seven a.m. I couldn't sleep, and I was I found this thing, and I I had this whole vision where. Uh, the clip is like the the video is like ten minutes long, and it had all these other kind of nuggets that I was mm-hmm. going to use and put between every song as kind of like a conceptual o- hip hop album. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like yeah, yeah a, a, a little bit Wu Tang, <laughs> yeah, Jurassic yeah. Five uh, sort of thing. Um, yeah, see, this old. I was thinking like Ice T, like yeah, original well, gangster. So. Right. Well, but, uh, th- this, is, you, this, is, this is this yeah, is yeah. this is our generation, yes, Gap, yes, Kevin. Yes. Um, and so, um, you know, w- we put them in and, uh, uh, the band talked me out of actually, uh, most <laughs> of that concept because Do you have a mix of it. I mean, did you at least try it? Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, the, the rough mixes, um, that I sent around, uh, had these, uh, these interjections between each song, but you know, in the end, um, I kind of came around to the point of view that it was, it was a little bit on the nose and it was a little too much investment in that yeah i the idea of a concept like i'd have to well it becomes too clever at that point it becomes too clever and it also becomes like too much a part of the album like this this conceit Mm -hmm. that you've done like oh it's so you know what larger thing are you trying to say about like 1950s small town america and the, the answer is well not really all that much just that um like there was a time when uh when there was this very clear narrative about mm. what um uh what it meant to live in America um and it was uh expressed and largely bought into um as this kind of very simple idealized um uh idea and you know there's evidence of this in stuff like uh um, like this video for Doylestown, which presumably made sense to a lot of people at some time. Like this yeah. was the time of Levittown. This was the time of like, you know, there were, there's this, just a certain, certain couple things that, that you need to get the, um, the, the family, the house, the yeah, two car garage and, be okay. and like the, and, yeah. and the, the, the job that made people respect you. And that was, I mean, like it was, it was, it was, um, 
it was as much propaganda as you see now about a lot of stuff like it, it, i mean it still time, exists but, i mean yeah not, not in dc let's be clear <laughs> well but but there is a there's a dc version for a, 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 a large well you know for for there's a lot of people who think that um uh what they need uh to get respect from other people and from themselves is um is a job in uh uh in on the capital oh yeah, yeah you know yeah, yeah. like in i mean it's, it's a weird t- it's a weird town like so, i mean I, I i moved up here from richmond um mm-hmm. I, i'm not in government uh my lady is sort mm-hmm. of uh a lot of uh a lot of people i know and none of them are really like that. But I remember, yeah, my first two years here was a struggle with people. Like, so I was sort of joking, like, you know, what do you do? Sure, yeah. That's the first thing they, they ask you and stuff. And it is that status symbol. And it's like, it's sort of been remarkable to see. Uh, you, you play a lot of house shows and you're very familiar with that scene. Mm-hmm. Seeing that come up against that. Yeah. Like, in the past few years, it's been like, okay. Well, I think, and, and, and the house show scene, I think, is a lot, it, it's remarkable how many people you talk to i mean you know there are people who work in um in uh like for in like city government or for in the service in the the, um food and beverage industry and all that stuff but there are a lot of people who have a downtown job at like at the nonprofits or on the hill but 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 they aren't just interested they they aren't they aren't bureaucrats this is is what they do well if that makes sense yeah so I mean that that's definitely true for some people. That's true. That's true for. Um, that's what I'm saying. They're pure bureaucrats. There are people who are just like, I went to school so I can work in the senator's office. Right. Well, th- th- so this is what I'm trying to say. Um, uh, I think that there that a lot of the people in the house show scene mm-hmm. are people who figured out that you can be both things at once. Right. Like. Um, you know, just because you work at a government agency doesn't mean that you have to, uh, like, um, go out drinking at the old Ebbet grill and, um, live in, uh, um, and live in a, uh, Glover park or, I mean, do you think you that's, know, like, do you think that's actually unlocking that for a lot of people? Or do you think that people came, it's just people started coming here knowing they could also do that? Um, well, I, th- I think that, that um any way you try to and uh like put put those people on the couch yeah. you'll probably end up being wrong <laughs> right um, right uh but 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 also it, it you know um uh i do remember when i first came to the city uh you know it was uh you know i was still i had no idea like what i was going to right be like or who i was gonna uh, be around huh how long have you been here i've been here uh since january 2nd 2009 okay um that's actually about oh really okay so um but you know i was uh i was 23 and i um was an intern you know and i um and you know i lived uh uh you know, out in Palisades because it's like what I could afford for <laughs> yeah. how I had to get to my job at yeah. a certain time. And so like, I don't know, like it's just such a weird time to reflect on because like, um, you know, I would go out in Georgetown and I would hang out with friends who were not 
music friends, but we're friends, but like, right. didn't, we didn't share that part of it. And it just, it took a couple years, probably three or four good years. You know, I had some, I had some core friends, but it really took like three or four years to find my people to right. like understand that there were house shows happening in Columbia Heights right. and that there was room for me in that scene. Um, and I think that a lot of the stereotypes that people have about DC or any city, uh, come from the fact that, um, uh, unless you are, if you're seeking that stuff out, it might take you a little while to find where it's happening. Yeah. Um, but you know, DC has a lot of different kinds of people in it who are, into a lot of uh, different stuff, a lot of different kinds of music too, because another thing that that I've heard you talk about on this podcast is this whole expectation that uh, the musicians coming out of DC are going to be into punk or are going to be referencing that tradition uh, in some way. Um, And, you know, everybody knows that that's a fundamentally dumb idea that like all the music coming out of the city is going to sound the same, Mm -hmm. but it's tempting because like you're trying to kind of wrap your arms around the scene or wrap your arms around the city and figure out what it's all about, even though it's actually well, about in that a lot case, of it's a lot of lazy journalism. Uh, no offense to the journalist, but you know, there, there is, there is a, um, I almost started an extra Twitter account where it was like, you couldn't go a week without a story about Fugazi Yeah, in like the three or four main outlets in town. Mm-hmm. And, and that is sort of like, I mean, I, I get it, you know, and it's part of our history and stuff. But I, I don't think people your age or anybody like younger stuff making music, they don't necessarily have anything to do with that and sort of appreciate that. You mm-hmm. know, I, I've said like if if that's the way people should operate, then like I'm going to be talking about like Boston's third stage from here to the end of time. Now mm-hmm. this is just the podcast that's going to be that. Um, it is. Uh, it, it's a weird thing because we have like. Probably the best club in the nation here, 930 Club. Probably the second best club in the nation, Black Cat. Um, and if you are not an active music fan, like music has become sort of a almost like a spectator sport to some. Um, and uh, But if, if you're not really invested in what you're doing, you won't find these other things. And so a lot of times, I, I don't think any, any more recently, but – you know that's what you're gonna. That, that's what's gonna come because people got to book what people necessarily want to see or expect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's. Uh, but there is a, like a lot going on here. A lot. I mean, from like what you're doing, you know, the idea that uh, you could have sort of a, sort of a little tripped out folk-ish album. Uh, coming out of DC that people are going to like maybe pay attention to hopefully, you know, that I know a couple of people off the top of my head that would blow their minds and they'd be like, what Yeah, what are you talking about? Right. You know, does he, does he know Ian? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, <laughs> I have a funny Ian story actually. Um, I, uh, so I live in Mount Pleasant. Yeah. Um, Ian McKay lives in Mount Pleasant. Mount He's Pleasant around. isn't pleasant anymore. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, or all too pleasant, uh, yeah. maybe. Um, but I, I love Mount Pleasant. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, Ian McKay's around. Yeah. Um, and one time there was a gig, uh, Louie and I were driving in his car. Uh, we were going to play some gig, um, just, uh, just 
folk tunes uh at the black squirrel just you know yeah. uh for for fun one time um with a couple of friends and uh <laughs> we we packed up our acoustic guitars um we uh we drove up um uh, uh we drove up lamont street we were turning on on the mount pleasant street and uh, it's dark out, and Ian Mackay's just uh, crossing the street, and uh, we almost don't see him, and we stop short of him. We almost hit him, and I was, and he's, you know, gives us a little bit of a look, keeps walking, um, and I was just thinking, oh my god, if we had run over <laughs> Ian Mackay on our way to a folk gig in Washington D.C., <laughs> the, 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 the universe would have exploded. Yeah, it right. just would have ended. That, that would have been the end of D.C. music. Yeah, <laughs> we, Jesus, we literally would have killed punk in D.C. Oh, man, <laughs> um, so um, as we start to like sort of try to wrap it up because we're going, sure. we're about like an hour ten. So sure, we're going pretty good. You want to talk about the fish thing? Oh, I can if you, if you want to. <laughs> oh, like, no, 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 no. Well, we, no, well, sort of that conversation I want to talk about. So the fish thing, yeah, it's like something when I was uh, asking you your influences and I mentioned that. I mean, if I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the album Billy Breathes, mm-hmm. but if you if you look at that, there, there's a certain type of wordplay, which honestly you're better at that because they write shit lyrics. So <laughs> let's just get Thanks. that out of the way. Um, but it, it, it's a certain type of... Um, Chord structures put together, and, and it's almost a vamp that it happens in a few of your songs, mm-hmm. and then into a guitar solo that reminded me of stuff off Billy Breeze, sure. which, by the way, is my favorite like Fish album. Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, uh, you know, I I've, I haven't listened to Billy Breeze except for probably except for um, Bouncing Around the Room, right, right, and right. Uh, uh, I don't know his character Zero on that character one? Zero. Bouncing Around the Room is on the riff. Oh, okay. Never mind then. It's got it's got uh, like theme from the bottom, character zero, uh, not down with disease. I I don't know. Yeah. So so the it's, it's the one time they came close to writing good songs. Okay. Well, th- thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, for that being the, the yeah. reference point, I I listened to the fish. I listened to was uh, uh, hoist uh, during yeah, college. Uh, yeah, I had yeah, that yeah. album. I like that album. Um, uh, so it it was just funny to um and you know I'm 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 not going to uh try to um uh uh defend myself in, in right, court right. that like anything I write sounds like fish and um and frankly I I don't actually have uh the same uh animus towards fish that a, a lot either. of people okay. have um but it it was interesting to to hear you say that um and to hear you guys talk about it on the mm-hmm. podcast um uh, because um, uh, something that I've found uh, is that, um, well, first of all, th- there was there's a tone that Travis used on the song "Pattern Matching," which I can I can sort of hear um, yeah. a little bit of uh, Trey on the yeah, Stasio in have that two uh, tube screamers. Um, <laughs> you're right. Does he well, have a tube? Is well, he using a tube screamer? Um, well, you know, I'm. Enough of a yeah. enough of a, a, a neophyte that I can't even answer that okay. question. Um, Travis, some, Travis has tried to talk to me about gear, <laughs> um, and I uh, I've gotten really good at nodding my head. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, but no, it, it, it was interesting because um, you talk about influence. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh something that i've found in in writing and trying to realize songs um you know with a band is that uh 
you have um, some control over what you sound like or the fidelity of the sounds that you're able to make with the sounds there in your Mm -hmm. head, but not nearly as much as I expected. And as a music fan, that was a big uh, realization for me because, um, because it made me realize that, um, uh, that every time that I kind of had pegged a band as like being directly influenced by this or that, um, you know, it sort of opened my mind up to the possibility that they were going for something for a different sound or yeah. in their mind, they wanted to write like, um, uh, in their mind, they wanted to write like, uh, uh, you know, Warren Zevon and ended up sounding like John Prine, you know, like, yeah, I, yeah. I remember the first time, the first song we ever recorded was Honey, If You're Lucky, the, mm-hmm. the title track off of, um, the first album. And, uh, you know, I was in my head when I was talking to Louie about the sort of elements that I wanted to to add into the song. Right. I was thinking, uh, you know, Radio Cure by uh, sure. Wilco. And then it ended up sounding like the low anthem, you know. Right. And and it's like uh, something that, that Louie told me about this because we've talked about influence a lot um, and also... Um, you know, making music. And, uh, he said that a big part of songwriting is, um, discovering the sounds that are actually in your body. Like, um, the, the, the possibilities and limitations of your voice, uh, are going to be a lot different from the people that whose music made you want to make music. Um, and also just, um, uh, what, tools you have what instruments you can play and also what so so yeah. so I, th- I think that there's um you know influence exists absolutely yeah. um but uh i it, it, it sort of made me think when when you said fish i'm like you know i'm not going to deny that you, you heard hear, it i'm i'm i'm, I'm not going to deny yeah, that yeah. you guys hear fish in that yeah. and i can sort of hear it in the tone that's like just because of my memory of mm-hmm. what i've what i remember about fish right. um but like uh, they are, they're totally not an influence right, right, on right. purpose. Like it's, I think I sort of stumbled sideways into some fish like sounds right. also, also came from probably the, the players that ended up it, writing it, it parts is, for it the is, album. It is. And actually it wasn't the guitar tone. It was the piano in that. Oh really? Yeah, it was the piano and it, it was, it was more, um, but I mean, here's the thing, like you, you hear stuff and you incorporate them. It's, the, the, the thing you were saying that Louis was talking about, you know, what, you know your body can do as far as that mm-hmm. uh that's interesting because i actually as a as a just a writer uh i sometimes struggle with, it just keeps me from doing it mm-hmm. because I, I i will not get past the point of being like i want to do this sound like this sound like this sound like, and i want to put that together and do that and i think to write anything successfully you you have to get past that you can't think about it mm-hmm. like because otherwise you're just like well, I'm not exactly sounding like that. Right. I'm fucking up. And then, and then you get to the the question of voice, which is a right. really weird thing to talk about um, as a writer, and it's a really weird thing to hear about as a mm. young writer um, and as a writer at any age, I guess. Like when you're talking about what you need to do is find your voice, but there's it's it's like a really unhelpful. It's it's like the most. Uh, it's the most unhelpful, true bit of advice that I know about. Mm. <laughs> like, it's just, 
you know, it's like, okay, well, how do I find your voice, uh, my voice? And it's just like, well, I don't know. Just yeah. like, hopefully you'll find it. You probably won't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you just um, keep going. yeah, like, uh, and then you'll end up making some music that is, um, that sounds close to the kind of music that yeah. maybe you could make. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, the biggest step is, uh, step is, I think, being like brave enough to just know mm-hmm. you're not going to hit it. Right. Well, and, and, and go. And yeah, and and that 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 gets to a whole a whole other universe of, of right. a, a whole other problematic universe of like um, the artist instincts and the artist vision yeah. and like figuring out um, like have, having the the confidence and the clarity to be able to execute a vision versus but also having the ability to step outside yourself and be critical enough yeah. to. Uh, to edit out bad ideas mm-hmm. or to change the vision if it turns out that the vision is shitty. Yep. Um, and that's the, the so um, one of my uh, one of my favorite writers, a guy named uh, uh, John Jeremiah Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he he's written a bit about and others. A lot of people have um, about the weird schizophrenic. Um, personality of a writer where like you some days you think you're the greatest writer in the world and other days you think that you're absolute shit and you should never write again um and the weird experience of like applying both of those things to the act of writing um and he says it's like a lighting matches in a rainstorm of self-doubt yeah um where you have enough confidence to actually sit down and try to and do the work and be committed enough to do the work, but also enough good sense and enough of um, uh, the inner critic to be able to sharpen that work mm-hmm. to a point where you're able to experience the work as both writer and of uh, like completely 100% invested writer and complete zero percent like you know prove to me why i should give this my attention well, you're right in your audience yeah right like, right and, and, not, and, and not making assumptions about your audience just being like you are a person in your audience mm-hmm. and how would this like sound because right and and then and then you get into a whole other hornet's nest about like not being overly swayed by what other like other people's like right. tastes or what other people expect. And it, it's just this whole, it's this whole mess of advice that writers like internalize that, that doesn't really <laughs> help that much. And it all starts with this, this notion of voice, which is something that you need to find. You want to be mindful of the search for voice. Um, but nobody can tell you how to find your voice and mm. there's no guarantee at all that you're going to find that you're that you're going to realize the potential of your own writing voice or that if you realize that potential that's going to be something that other people want to hear. So I was going to say to flip it to a commercial <laughs> that that's that's the most important thing. I think anybody engaging in in making an album anything there's there's no no nobody uh talk to Justin Jones and mm-hmm. and stuff and uh one thing he said he's been doing this for a long time and he was like, you know, the struggle is that like we're making a product that people don't necessarily need. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there's everybody a- needs music. Now that that can't be you, you, if you live your life without music, like I'm 
I don't even know. Yeah. I, I don't understand that. Right. Even if you like bad music, if all you like is like Nickelback and Celine Dion, at least that's something like those patterns, those, that, that, that stimulus is... It's it's universal. Sure. Well, the, the, and there and there's this whole thing of and it, it's true in business too. I mean, mm-hmm. like in any enterprise. I mean, like uh, uh, so one of my favorite songwriters, Joe Pug, has a line in one of his songs. He says, uh, um, "Authors need stories more than stories need them." Um, or everything that you. Another lyric of his was he says, uh, um, "Everything that you were born to do." does not need you to do it. Someone else was born to do it too. Right. Um, like there, there's this sense of like, you want to be part of something mm-hmm. important, but it's kind of like a, you know, you, you say, okay, I want my band to sound like, um, uh, I want my band to sound like fish. Say I love fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want I'm my band to sound like fish. Um, and they're like, Oh, well, um, uh, well, fish already exist. We already have fish. And it's like, yeah, but we want, like, I want that, but like me though, but me, right, me right, that, right. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a fundamentally selfish thing. Um, uh, I feel like we're, we're getting into another podcast. Which, yeah. Oh, sure. Well, no, we no, 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 yeah. no, no. Which means you're like, you will, you will definitely have to come back. Yeah. But yeah, no, that, that type of stuff is, is, uh, I don't know if it's fascinating to anybody listening. Uh, it's, it's obviously to you. It's, it's fascinating to me mm-hmm. because it is important how, I mean, I, I have a degree in psychology, so it is, um, how we all process this, uh, is like, to me, it's the most important thing it can. I mean, it, it, it fundamentally changes you regard if like, I don't, I don't know if we would, I would call what we do like music criticism and stuff. Uh, just sort of uh, like uh, Chris Richards was down here and said, you know, his job is to sort of shine a light on stuff that we think is better and stuff. He is I, a hell of a writer. Yeah, and I, and I don't think, but he's also hell. He has he has good taste. That's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, I, I don't necessarily think anybody should agree with stuff we say, but if you do, like lock into that and like trust us, yeah, like sometimes we're going to curate some good stuff. Sure, and 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 something the the service that I think that people like Chris Richards, good music writers, provide. Mm-hmm is they do two things. Um, they model caring about music. Yeah. You know, they, they say they, the, the most, at its fundamental level, the job of a music writer is to persuade people that music is worth caring about. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, there's no, well, the, I've seen some reviews where it's just like the whole review is like, meh. You know, but 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 like, you know, the, the the job is to is to formulate an argument about a piece of music and try to persuade people that um, that uh, that that point of view has meaning or. Yeah. Uh, and the second thing is to uh, to equip people with a vocabulary um, and a set of values That's... with which to. Uh, describe music in their own life because music is the most popular thing in the world. Every it, cult, it, yeah, every, it, every culture has music it, and has been forever. Right. And people are moved by music and they don't know why. And if you're a verbal person, right. um, and I think that both of us are, yeah. um, then you want to figure out, um, a set of tools with which you can, um, understand or apply meaning to those feelings and right. uh, that feeling of movement, uh, with words and with something resembling uh, a persuasive argument. Um, and that's why music, that's, uh, 
that's why music writing is such a fraught area because you know um there's so much argument that seems like it's over bullshit but it's just um kind of an argument about uh, between people who uh who um uh who have received different um ideas and uh words and phrases with which to understand why music is important to them yeah yeah which is that's actually something I really do want to talk about, mm-hmm. but we could talk about it for like hours. Sure. <laughs> uh, so uh, for now, though, we are, we are up at an hour twenty. You are busting okay. the limit here. All right. Um, but uh, what do you want to plug? Oh, okay. Uh, so um, by the time uh, y'all are listening to this, it'll be next week, um, which is in time to plug uh, a gig that we've got. At GW okay. on uh, February 26th um, with uh, with uh, the North Country and uh, I forget. How I forget are those guys other. doing? They're doing great. They're going to put out an album. Yeah, I know. I, know. I, 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 talked, I forget who I talked to a couple of years ago. With Andrew and Grossman? Might have been and stuff. And then I, I almost went there. They played a show at uh, the Bathtub Republic. Yeah. And almost, well, uh, that, that's where Andrew lives. Yeah. Andrew and, oh, okay. and Leia. That, that would make sense. Yeah. Uh, and I and I was going to try to make it up there and just couldn't. But uh, mm-hmm. Sean actually opened the show. Yep. Um, yeah. So uh, North Country they put out a single. Uh, yeah, I like it uh, recently, it. and they're going to put out a full album. So we're going to play with them and uh, and another band on that bill. Um, and then it's possible. Uh, I think I might play with them again, as it happens on uh, March twentieth. Um, but. If 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 you're listening to this and 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 you and you like the and you like my Facebook page or something, then I'll, I'll yeah. be spamming I'll be spamming you with this many times. <laughs> and we're gonna now put all, we're gonna put all the links in yeah. the show notes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. always you're, gonna, you're gonna be they're, they're gonna be sick of me by the time uh, by the time uh, the show actually rolls. Is, is there any chance of a, uh, a strange, Stranger in the Alps Louis Weeks tour? Um, well, is he part of your live band? Uh, he, he has been in the past, in the past. but, um, but we're learning to live without him because he's, uh, uh, been focusing on, yeah, yeah. on figuring out his own live act. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, Louis, uh, Louis should and will go on tour, um, hopefully to many adoring fans in the not, uh, not so far away future. And, um, if, and when such a tour occurs, yeah. Then I'm gonna be at the show. I'm gonna be as many shows as I can, um, uh, whether I'm playing at them or whether I'm. Well, ju- in just the ha- having heard both your albums, uh, I think it actually would be great if if it was a co-headlining bill. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, yeah. I, I think that's a synergy. I mean, it's not. Um, you know, and we, we mentioned Louis a lot, but I mean, Louis is a big collaborator. Oh, yeah. Well, so well, it's and, not. It's not like, uh, you know. So yeah, and, and and we and we uh, we've been friends since college, right? Um, so he he actually, uh, um, uh, I, I knew him for like five years before I wrote a song. Yeah. Um, so uh, um, a lot of my vocabulary and my thinking about songwriting um, uh, comes from watching and observing him. So there's. There's a reason the simpatico yeah. exists, yeah, um, yeah. and um, I, like you, uh, uh, have um, admire his ability to communicate ideas about music in addition to composing music that's moving on its own. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, I'm I, I 
I'm I'm looking forward to when that album drops too. Yeah. I'll plug his album too. Yeah. Ha ha, coming this spring. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully he'll he'll be coming back. Actually, we're talking about doing like a a listening party or live show here. Yeah, actually upstairs. Cool. So. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if you if you, if you uh, have us both back to to pick up where we left off in this conversation, yeah. then then we might never oh, that, oh, come out of this basement. Jesus, that would be amazing. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for coming down. Uh, Pattern Matching is out now. Uh, like I said, when I tweeted out, it is like, decide what you want to pay. Don't be cheap. Don't be an <laughs> asshole. Five bucks, man. <laughs> like, you can afford it. Uh, at least buy you a beer. Uh, and uh, come back soon. I will do. Thanks right, for thanks, having man. me, Kevin. See you later. Elevator. There's no life for this Antibody, anybody There's no cure for this Box of flowers in the still life On the arch outside your door Caught me staring from a locked room And your cup on the floor It's not a long, long way down It's a long, 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 long way down Around the terminal now Thank you for to uh, Steve for coming down to the basement for that. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. That was a fun time. We uh, honestly, I think, could have could have kept on talking for another hour or two, um, which means that Steve will just have to come back, which he probably will. Uh, he hopefully will. Um, you know, it was uh, you know some of it got a little nerdy. Got a little nerdy. That's okay. That's that's what we do here. You know, we get we get a little nerdy. We're not all about the the fluff stories. The uh, you know what's what's your What's your, on your iPod right now? Yeah, that, that, that doesn't work for us. Uh, so uh, thanks to Steve. Hopefully hearing that, uh, go check him out. Go check him out either live. We'll have some tour dates up, hopefully. Or, uh, you know, we'll have the link to his Bandcamp page where you can get Pattern Matching and his first album, uh, Honey, if you're lucky. Uh, you know, if you like what he said, I think you, you're, you're going to like uh, what you hear in his music as well. So uh, please do that. And uh, Steve, come back soon. Uh, that is our podcast for this week coming up in the next week or so next few weeks. I know we've got, uh, we're going to be talking about the Bjork album. We're going to be talking about an album that I, I, I'm sort of falling more and more in love with every day. Jessica Pratt on your own love again. Uh, and, uh, if you haven't heard that, I don't know if it's up on streaming yet, but, uh, it is on, on iTunes. Uh, so it is gettable. Uh, I, I highly recommend checking that out. Uh, some Riley Walker we're going to be talking about coming down the pipe. Um, God, who else we got coming in? Um, Waxahachie has a new album out. Uh, not sure how you feel about her. We know how Paul feels about her. Um, so lots of good stuff coming up in the next month or so. Uh, also next week, we're probably going to finally put out our conversation about open mic nights, which was... Uh, gloriously hilariously uh just um it was a good time uh me adam derek Avery, and and james main of gypsy sally sitting down to uh talk about the what what open mic nights mean in the scope of things you know they're sort of like the the, the farm school for musicians you know, go out and road test their stuff uh but 
That was a really good one. Uh, it's taking a lot of editing, so that's why that's the delay. But it's coming, I promise. And then also after that, we're going to have uh, it'll be a double header of a uh, uh, most influential drummers podcast, sort of half hosted by Ben Tufts. So all that stuff is coming up. Uh, what's not coming up is an interview with Sturgill Simpson again. I apologize for that. Uh, you know, we've been covering Sturgill since he sort of hit. DC. Uh, I will not lie. Like Chris Richards was the one that, that turned me on to him. Uh, but then went out and saw him that very night uh, at communion at Gypsy Sally's was completely blown away. Then saw him at the Birchmere. Uh, we actually, uh, me and the lady traveled to, uh, to Nashville, took a trip there to see him and Jason Isbell did not disappoint. And tonight he's playing at the nine thirty club, uh, sold it out. So to say that, that this past year has been crazy for Mr. Simpson is, is, Putting it lightly, but the end result is he has no time. Or that's what we are continually told. So, you know, if you listening to this were like, hey, I would really like to hear Sturgill Simpson on Chunky Glasses, the podcast, uh, start a Twitter campaign or something. Or don't, you know. You know I, I think he reads them. I mean, he's a pretty, pretty adept guy, pretty hip to the social media. So, uh, you know, let him know. Let him, let him know uh, this could be a fun thing for him. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you're going to the 930 Club tonight, we will see you there. Uh, if not, we will talk to you next week. As always, thanks for listening. Uh, and this has been episode 102 of Chunky Glass of the Podcast, which is now in the can.